six shooter, okay, and, and points it at the at the beautiful damsel in distress, okay, you've seen her, right? You know, long flowing hair and all innocent and all of that. And at just the right moment, the warrior, who's me, okay, of course, as I'm eight years old watching this movie, that's me, you know, feather in his hair, shirtless, muscles bulging, okay. <laughs> And the bad guy pulls the gun, points it at his lovely, you know, the woman he loves, pulls the trigger. And at the right moment, Tonto, or whatever his name is, actually it's Mickey, that's what I was called at that age, runs over and dives, smile on his Hollywood face, you know, as he flies through the air, and bad guy shoots, and takes it right in the chest, falls on the ground. He's there, of course, you know, that fake Hollywood, like, ketchup, blood, red paint, you know, little dab there on his chest. She runs over to him. She says, I love you. And I remember he said something like, you know, I love you, too. Probably in a, you know, horrible Indian accent, right? And it was worth it. And then he falls dead. Now, then as a child, though, this is where it gets a little weird. <laughs> For the next couple of, like, days or weeks, me and my cousin and my brother were in the house, and we find a few items. This is what we found. Three couch cushions. Okay? Yeah, you need those. A few rocks and a slingshot and a piece of string and a feather. And out we go in the yard. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Averted danger needed. We lay out the couch cushions because we don't want to get hurt. This is for safety's sake, right? My cousin is over there. She has the slingshot, okay? She pulls it back with a rock. And we take turns now running and diving into the air, landing onto the pillowcases as she shoots the rock, trying to catch it in the chest. Stupidity! Don't do this! Amazingly, I did not get a, you know, a pebble to the brain and have a Goliath moment. I'm surprised it never occurred. But I remember us kids out there over and over, why doesn't this work? You want, <laughs> when the rock goes flying over your head. Fortunately, as I said, we had the safety devices there, the cushions. No one was injured in this uh, episode. But there is in us, I'm a nine, eight-year-old kid. And I want to lay down my life. To save the damsel in distress. I think it's the thumbprint of God. I think it's the thumbprint of God. That we recognize sacrifice. We recognize paying a cost for a greater good. Paying a cost for one that we love. But this kind of sort of adventure and this kind of sacrifice, it doesn't look like bullets and rocks and cushions. It looks like everyday humility. It truly does. It looks like everyday humility. Jesus made a point just a few verses ago. And that is, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. If I don't lay down my life in humility for my family and for my loved ones in everyday life, if I don't lay down my life for others, I'm not going to do it when the costs are higher. That's not the way it works. 
We're going to look at humility today from Luke chapter 17. Let me just read it to you, starting at verse number 1. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that what we do here at Centerpoint is we walk through a book of the Bible. We've been working on Luke for quite a bit of time now. We're up to Luke chapter 17, and and we've, we've gone through this faithfully, I hope, phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, and try to understand what it is the Lord has for us. Today we come to verse number 1 of chapter 17, and it says this. And Jesus said to His disciples now, He's speaking to His disciples, and He said, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one to whom they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, it sounds like Jesus is going to talk about sin, right? And he is. He is. He's speaking about sin and he's speaking about the, the, the temptation towards it. As a matter of fact, he's also talking about that we need to not lead others into sin. But in verse number 3, Jesus says something here that should wake us up. He says... Pay attention to yourselves. So what he's done now is, instead of the finger pointing out to everybody else, he says, bring the finger back to you. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now the apostles, on hearing this, they said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, which is a tree about 30 feet high, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now the next couple verses are going to be a little bit odd to you, and I think you understand them once we tear it apart. But now Jesus kind of tells really a parable. It's almost like a little parable thrown in here to make a point. He says, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he is coming in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I want to read the next passage because it does relate to our point today. Verse number 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed of their leprosy. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed, speaking to this one. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We're going to talk today about humility. All right? And it is all through this passage. 
You'll see it as we go through. It relates to forgiveness. It relates to caring for others. It relates to thankfulness. A humility. Humility is a humbleness of mind. Okay? It is is not having an elevated view of yourself. There's a lot of different definitions you can use for humility. I think I put some up on the screen there. It's being accurate when you evaluate yourself. It's the absence of pride or arrogance. C.S. Lewis said this, that humility is not thinking yourself less. It's not thinking, I'm a loser. I have no value. It's not thinking yourself less. It is thinking less of yourself is what humility is. And here's the... Here's the sneaky truth about humility. Humility is related to joy. Joy. You see, we all want joy. We might call it other things. We might call it happiness. We might call it contentment. We might call it peace. We we might call it pleasure. The truth is, we are hardwired to seek out joy. But joy... And the finding of it are counterintuitive. Let me define that word for you. It means you don't get it the way that you think you would. Okay? Intuitively, you think joy or happiness is found by getting everything you want. Get all the cars, get all the houses, get all the money, get all the friends, get all the success, get all the prosperity. Get it all, and I'll have joy. Intuitively, that's what we think. Intuitively, that's where we think joy is found. But folks, that is because we are tainted by sin. We are tainted by sin. So our intuition is wrong. In many areas, particularly the pursuit of joy, it's wrong. We find joy. The road to joy is found through humility. It is the giving of yourself. It is the sacrificing of yourself. I heard a story, a great picture of this is a mother. A nursing mother. I heard a story of a mother. This could have been my wife. I don't remember this exact conversation, but I heard a gentleman tell the story about his wife. It had a brand new baby. And probably just a few weeks old. And they're at home. And she was nursing the child, as a lot of moms do. And they'd gone to sleep. About 2 o'clock in the morning, he, he hears his, his wife waking up. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she said, I just got to nurse the baby. I got to nurse the baby. And he said, I didn't hear the baby. I, I didn't hear the baby crying. The baby was asleep. So I said to my wife, why, why are you getting up? He's knocked out of sleep. And she said, I just want to nurse my baby. What better picture of giving yourself away, of humility, waking up middle of the night, caring for your child, who offers nothing in return. The baby offers nothing. But the mom or the dad is up in the middle of the night meeting needs. Humility. Humbleness of mind, it is the path to joy, and I want you to see it in this passage. The way we're going to look at it, how we're going to handle this, we're going to look at three fruits of humility. Three three fruits of humility, and then we're going to look at where, what's the the foundation, what's the source of this humility, okay? Three fruits. The first one is caring for one another. You see it in verses 1, 2, and 3. Caring for one another. Jesus says, hey, temptation to sin is coming. See it there in verse number 1? 
By the way, he's speaking to the disciples. He's not speaking to the Pharisees. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to the disciples. And he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. Now this word temptation is actually, there's a couple different words that are used for sin. And this is a word that is often translated sin. But this one means a trap. Okay? It means a trap. It means a, a hole, a, a, a pit in the ground covered up with, you know, jungle foliage where somebody walks along and they fall down in the hole. That's what this word is. Jesus says they're going to be everywhere. A temptation to sin is everywhere. That's just the way it is. In verse number two, it'd be better for the person who brings that into people's lives, see, the one to whom they come, it'd be better for them to be thrown into but with a millstone on her neck, be thrown in the water is what he says. Be thrown in the ocean. You're, if you're going to be a person who sets a trap for other people to sin, it, you're better off to have a millstone, which would be like a thousand pound rock, literally thousand pounds, tied around your neck, thrown into the ocean. You quickly die, right? Now, it's real easy here for, to, for the Pharisees and, and others to realize he's, maybe he's talking about them, but for the disciples to think that he's not talking about them. I mean, these are the disciples. They're followers of Jesus. He's not talking about us. We're not leading people to sin. We're leading people to righteousness. We're leading people to Christ. He's not talking about us. And you might be thinking, this isn't me. I don't lead people to sin. I'm not out, you know, trying to tempt people away from God. This isn't me, Lowell. This is not me. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. I'm pretty good. Ah. That's why Jesus says in verse number 3, pay attention to yourselves. Now remember he's saying, there is a trap for sin. And woe to the person who sets traps towards sin. And then he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, if your brother sins, rebuke him, And if he repents, forgive him. Folks, the first thing I want to talk about, the fruit of humility, is a care for other people. And what Jesus is saying here is if you are aware of a brother or a sister who is walking towards sin, walking towards the trap of sin, and you do nothing, you do nothing, you say, it's none of my business, I don't really know them. We haven't talked in weeks. You know, they're really easily offended. I don't want to say that to them. I don't want to upset them. We've just become friends. We just recently got together. They're in a rough time. Pick your reason. If you do not do what Jesus says here, you're better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if we don't care enough to go to somebody who's in sin, we don't really care for them. We don't care for them. So the first step of humility I want you to see, I want you to see that humility means I care for you and you care for me. It's a humbleness of mine. It's thinking of myself less. I don't think I'm nothing, but I'm not always, you know, fascinated with myself. I'm not fixated on me. And so when I see somebody else who's leading towards sin, who's walking towards the trap of sin, I go to them. 
He liked doing that? Who likes doing that? Raise your hand real high. Not one person. Of course not. Matter of fact, we won't have you raise your hand, but who's ever done that? Hmm. I wonder. Have we gone? Have we rebuked? Have we gone to somebody in sin? Hold on to that for just a minute. Let's go to the next one. Then he says, if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day. Now that is not one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got six. You've got one more. And then you're... That's not what that means. Seven times is the number of completion in the Hebrew mentality. Okay? This would be like us saying, forgive them a dozen times. If I said to you, forgive them a dozen times... Am I saying, forgive them exactly 12 times? No. I'm just using a word that we use all the time. Hey, give me a dozen donuts. You hand me 11, well, I probably would be upset. But if you hand me 13, I'll be like, okay, cool. Got a free donut. That's a dozen donuts. That's the way seven is. It's a hepta. It's just a measurement that was commonly used in that culture. And it meant completely. It meant completely. So Jesus said, forgive seven times. Remember Peter and Matthew said, so should I forgive seven times? And what did Jesus say? Mm -mm. You forgive 77s is what you forgive. You forgive freely is what it means. This requires a great deal of humility. It requires a great deal of humility to forgive somebody who's done you wrong. Now, I do want you to notice that it says, if he repents, if he repent, we're talking about believers here. So a brother sins against you, if he repents, you forgive him. So this is not just, oh, you did that? No big deal. That's okay. You did that? That's all right. No big deal. You did that? That's okay. That's not what that means. Not, not among brothers. Not among fellow believers. If we just throw out this, you know, free forgiveness, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. It short-circuits God's process of reconciliation. What needs to happen is, if your brother sins against you, you need to go to them. Actually, according to the Bible, you should meet each other on the way. He should come to you, you should go to him. You should meet on the way. You should rebuke. Rebuke means just to simply share what is wrong. It doesn't mean wag the finger. It doesn't mean get on a ladder and point down. It means share with force now what has been done that is wrong. That person should hear that. They should confess. Now, confess is not a little closet with a priest, Father, I have sinned. That is not what the word confession means in the New Testament. Confession means to agree with. So picture this. Somebody does something wrong to me. I go to them. They come to me. We meet in the middle. I say, hey, listen. You know, the other day, you stole my candy bar. All right? And they say, oh, you are so right. And that was so wrong. I know how you love Snicker bars. Try not to laugh at my silly illustration, but I know how you love Snicker bars, and I should have never have stolen it. That was wrong. That's confession. That's confession. I'm agreeing. And at that point, I forgive. You know, you stole seven candy bars, but I'll forgive you. Reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation. Actually, I would tell that person to buy them another candy bar, but that's beside the point. Um, so, forgiving one another. It's an act of humility. Now, the third fruit is thankfulness. And that's at the end of our passage we read today. 
All these lepers, ten of them, ten of these lepers are, have leprosy. It's hard for us to really know what leprosy was in New Testament days. It's hard for us to identify what it is. People take guesses of what it is, but it's hard for us to know. It's a skin disorder, okay? And it meant a couple things. It's very much like Ebola right now, okay? It meant death. It meant social um, rejection. It meant I couldn't come near you, is what it meant. Ten lepers, Jesus walking down the street, ten lepers say out, Hey, Jesus, Master! By the way, this is not Adonai. They're not calling Him God, okay? They're just saying a... a it's like they're saying, Oh, Jesus, sir! It's just a, it's a term of respect. Have mercy on me. This is what every leper would say to anybody walking down the street. This is how you beg in that culture. This is the equivalent of holding up a sign that says, you know, family stuck along the road need food. That's what that is. Have mercy on me. Jesus now hollers back to them. Go to the priest. Go to the priest. What is that about? Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 14. If a person is healed of leprosy, which, interesting enough, only happened twice in all of the Old Testament. Miriam and Naaman. But there's a law given there. I find it interesting. In Luke chapter 14, if you are healed of leprosy, you are to go to the priest who will then evaluate you to see that you are healed, offer, make an offering, and then you can be back into society. So Jesus says, go to the priest. And so on, as they're going to the priest, they are miraculously healed. It's amazing. This is unheard of. Two times in the Old Testament, somebody's healed of leprosy. These ten people are healed instantly. The leprosy is gone. I wonder what happened. They're walking along. They look at the other like, man, your face, it's better. Your hands, they're better. We are healed. You'd think, you'd think all ten of them would sprint back to Jesus, right? He must be the Christ. He must be the Messiah. It's not what happens. Notice what happens. It says here that, uh, verse number 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praised God with a loud voice, fell on his face, and gave Jesus thanks. And Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found returning and praise to God except this foreigner? And then my Bible goes to black print. Does yours do that? Mine goes to black print. It goes red to black. Can you look at that black phrase? And he said to him. Who was talking before that? Jesus. Who's talking after that? Jesus. What does this mean? What does this mean? This isn't all that Jesus said to him. This isn't all that Jesus said to him. Jesus now has this man who was healed of leprosy. He speaks truth to him. And the next verse tells us that that man got saved. It says, rise and go your way. Your faith has, now my translation says, made you well. But it is literally saved you. It's where we get the word soteriology for those who know what that word means. That's that word. This man put his trust in Christ. Ten are healed. Nine say, big deal. One says, you're the Christ. Folks, that's humility. 
Let me show you humility in these three pieces. One, we've got to care enough about other people. Two, we've got to forgive other people. Three, we need to live a life of thankfulness. Now, these things are humility. These things are humility. Thankfulness, not real costly. I might forget it. Forgiveness, that one's pretty high cost. Going to somebody and sharing where they need to be right, man, that one is costly. Do you not feel it? I mean, does it, does it cost a lot for you to say, thank you, Lord? No. Does it cost for you to forgive somebody? It does, but you know it's a private cost and I can lick my wounds on my own. But that first one, <laughs> going to somebody, rebuking them, that's a cost. And they require us to think less of ourselves. As a matter of fact, right now, if you're tracking with me, you should think this. Lo, it's impossible. I can't live this. I cannot live a life of saying thank you to God. Uh, maybe I can do that one, but I can't live that life. Two, I can't forgive people. You don't know me. I hold grudges. I get upset. You know, I, I, I can't forgive people. Three, I cannot go to somebody and rebuke them. I cannot do that. that I draw the line there. I, maybe I can forgive. Maybe I can say thank you. But I cannot do that. If you're there, I want your toes at the edge of that cliff, folks. I want your toes right there and saying, I can't do this. I cannot thank you. I cannot forgive. I cannot rebuke. That's asking too much. I want you to be there so that the next eight verses make sense. Jump in. Luke 17, verse 5. The apostles said, What? You're going to have to increase my faith. You're going to have to increase my faith. You see the apostles' response to this? This is too much to ask. Being willing to go to somebody else, being willing to forgive, this is too much to ask. And so the apostles say, increase my faith. This, here, let me put this in a, in, a, in a context, maybe you can understand. I recently told you about a gentleman that my daughter actually worked with who par- was paralyzed from the waist down, broke his back early in the summer. He's paralyzed from just below his waist down. Okay, Steve is his name. As I'm seeing what he has said about that accident, I'm just like, wow, that man's faith, it's incredible. He's never going to walk again. Barring a miracle of God, he's never going to walk again. He was a very active man. Whitewater rafting guide, climber, all that kind of stuff. All that's gone. Everything he's ever known, gone. And the words that he says of faith are incredible. And I see that, and I hear that, and I think, my, I wish I had his fill-in-the-blank. Faith. That's what the disciples said. You ever felt that? You ever felt that? You ever thought, man, I just wish I had their faith. I just wish I had their faith. I wish I had the faith to do that. I wish I had the faith to go that way. I wish I had the faith to believe that. It's time for us to be corrected. Jesus says, well, the apostles said, increase our faith. Verse number six, and the Lord said this, 
If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, proverbially that's the smallest seed of the day. So what Jesus is trying, he's using hyperbole here. I mean, he's talking on extremes. He says, if you had faith so small, you couldn't even see it. Tiny little faith. If you had that kind of faith, you could say to a mulberry tree, 30 feet tall, get up out of the ground, and I'm going to throw you into the sea, and it would do it. Now, there's, there's no record in the New Testament history of believers walking around doing this, okay? Believers were not walking around, mulberry tree, get in the ocean, mulberry tree, get in the ocean. That wasn't happening. Jesus is using extreme language to make a point. And this is extreme language. It is not a matter, this is the meaning of the extreme language, it is not a matter of the size of your faith. It's not a matter of the size of your faith. It's a matter of the object of your faith. When you say, I could never do that, I could never forgive, I could never rebuke, I could never live thank you, you're not talking about you at that point. You're not saying, I have small faith. What you're really saying is, I don't really believe that you can do that, God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you've got a high view of you. I can't do this. And you've got a low view of God. God, you can't do this. Verse 7. Well, what that is, I'll just mention it because I have it on the screen, I believe. Our humility, it's a function of His adequacy. Understanding how big and beyond us God is. Verse 7, quickly, because I'm out of time. Will any of you who has a servant... Now, Jesus is going to ask three questions. Three questions, okay? And, and the answers to these questions, Jesus doesn't give. He doesn't list them out. But, but we know the answers from the context. The answers are no, yes, no. Okay, that's the, that's the answer to the questions. Verse number 7. Well, any of you has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at the table. The answer to that question is no. You wouldn't do that. This is a slave. This is a servant. So you have a servant. It's really the word doulos. It's a slave. A slave is out in the field working. He comes inside. Would any of you say to the slave, man, you've been working hard, dude. Just sit down. I'm going to fix you a meal. Would you do that? No. Of course not. Then verse number 8. Next question. What's the answer? I already told you the answer is yes. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. In other words, the master, would he say to the slave, get yourself cleaned up. You've been out in the field. Clean yourself up. Put on some clean clothes and fix me some food and then you can eat. Is that what a master would do? The answer is yes. Then we have a third question. You know the answer. What is the answer? The answer is no. Verse number nine. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? What's the answer? No. No. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now hear this. Catch this. We're talking about humility. That's thinking about ourselves less often. It has some fruits. It looks like caring for other people. Going to people and correcting them, which is risky. 
It looks like forgiving people who did you wrong now, they did you wrong. And you forgive them. And the very next story Jesus tells related to this one is one with thankfulness. I thank the Lord for what He has done. These are all all the fruits of humility. And what Jesus is trying to say to us is this. You call me Lord. Speaking to us. You call me Lord. I tell you to be thankful. I tell you to forgive. I tell you to care for people enough to go to them because you love them and rebuke them. How dare you not obey? This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Of course we do what Jesus calls us to do. Where else would we go? Of course we obey what he tells us to do. He is our master. Of course we step out by faith. I know it's risky. I know it's risky. But of course we obey what he calls us to do. Because he is, the word here is primacy. You probably never use that word, okay? And what it means is first in rank is what it means. He is prime. He's number one. Because he's number one. If he tells me to rebuke, I rebuke. If he tells me to forgive, I forgive. If he tells me to say thank you, I say thank you. If he tells me to obey, I obey. If he tells me to worship, I worship. If he tells me to go and make disciples, I go and make disciples. If he tells me to preach the word of God, I preach the word of God. Why? Because he is my master. And I'm his servant. I'm his servant. This is not all that Jesus says about servants. It's not the end of the story. But it's a big part of it. You say, I don't know if I really want to do this, Lowell. I don't know if I can forgive. I don't know if I can confront. I might better say thank you, but I don't know about those two. Really? It's not a matter of your faith. It's a matter of the object of your faith. Jesus Christ. If Jesus calls us to respond, if he calls us to do something, there needs to be first-time obedience. First-time obedience. Yes, Lord. Where else would I go? Well, is there somebody that you need to rebuke? Those, that's the fruits, okay? That's the fruits. Is there somebody you need to go to? I know it's scary. Listen, I hate doing this. I hate it. I hate going to somebody and telling them, your life is not reflecting Christ. I hate it. I only do it with believers, okay? We don't do this with the world. You don't go to work and say, you guys are all sinners. That's not what you do. You go to believers, and I hate it. But I'm a servant. You wrong me, and I don't want to forgive. Because I'm made of skin and flesh just like you. But I'm a servant, so I forgive. And quite honestly, sometimes I just don't feel like saying thank you. Right? I don't feel like singing a song. I don't feel like saying thank you. But I'm his servant. Jesus says... You guys here on earth, you see masters and you see servants. You know how they work. Why are we any different? Now, I do want to say this. Someday, we're going to pass from this life to the next. And Jesus is going to look down at me and you. And I trust he's going to say, well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant.'" 
well done. This isn't all the servant talk of the Bible, but it's a big part of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this truth. Lord, help us to trust You enough to obey, to see that You're big enough and worthy of our obedience. Lord, we are Your servants. You speak and we act. So now, Lord, what we want to do, we want to live out some of this even right now. We want to say thank You for what You've done. We don't want to be guilty of of not living out what You've called us to. So Lord, receive our worship. Direct our steps. Give us courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.